Father, I thank you to know that your spirit is working in and through our hearts. I pray, God, that we would all be obedient to respond to that and, and to, Lord, when you call us to be bold, to be bold. If you tell us to be quiet, to be quiet. <laughs> um, when you call us to be obedient in something, to be obedient to it. We can't do any of that on our own. We need the power of your spirit at work in each of us. The instruction of your word to guide us. We just thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you for Jesus, your son. For the fact that we can be saved. The fact that we are known by the God of the universe. We just praise you and ask for your hand of grace to be upon this time. May your spirit teach us. May your voice be the voice that we hear. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews. Chapter 2. And you know, this joke, I've been told this joke several times since we started the book of Hebrews a couple weeks ago, right? But it's proof positive in the Bible that men are supposed to brew coffee. He brews. He brews. It's about what, it's about what I, I expected to be the response. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> uh, we're in chapter 2. Uh, I'm going to read the first four verses. We'll do a little introduction, and then we'll dive in. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed to, the, by, to us by those who heard him. God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. So last week, we spoke about how Jesus is greater than the angels. Uh, and, la and then last week, I called it part one, because we did spend a little time on the role the angels play as fellow servants of God. And we're going to get back to part two actually next week because the message of how Jesus is greater than the angels is not over in the book of Hebrews. If you read ahead, verses five, really through the end of chapter two, we will spend more time on that. But this week, we're going to, to take a four-verse look at our great salvation, the danger of neglecting it, um, and we'll get back to Jesus being better than the angels next week. Now, with that being said, chapter 2 begins with a beautiful word, therefore. So I'm not going to say it. I always say it, but I'm not going to say it this time. But when the word therefore is there, we have to pay attention to what came before it. See, y'all thought I was going to renege on my promise. We have to pay attention to what it's telling us, what it's connecting for us. And so it's connecting us to chapter 1. So because of what we read in chapter 1, because God has spoken through his Son, because God has made him heir of all things, because Jesus is better than the angels, because of those things, we must take, or give, sorry, the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. 
we need to pay attention to the things we've heard. The word must there means need, ought, or should. So we need to give more earnest heed, or we ought to, or we should give the more earnest heed. And I love the word here, this phrase, more earnest heed. The word heed means attention, caution, or adherence, but the word more earnest, exceedingly, super abundantly. So it's not just like, you know, pay attention. Or, you know, pay attention more than you usually do. Exceedingly pay attention. Super abundantly adhere. Or be cautioned by the things that we have heard. In other words, we have to give all the more careful attention to the things we've heard, lest we drift away. And the word drift away there means slip. This is a warning given to each of us because it's actually pretty easy to drift away from our faith in Christ in various ways. Right? Now, we're not necessarily here talking about a person losing their salvation, leaving their salvation. That's not uh, the discussion we're having. If you really want to listen to that discussion, Romans 9, 10, and 11 on our website, feel free. We delve in it or you can talk to me afterwards. What I'm talking about here is how we as followers of Christ, people who love Jesus, well, we sometimes make mistakes. We sometimes go the wrong direction. And sometimes we don't even necessarily realize how we got there until it's too late. So I think there's, there's several ways that this can show up. First, we can be lazy or spiritually apathetic. A sign of not being intentional in our relationship with the Lord. You know, I, a lot of people in here are married, or you've got friends, or you've got children, or, right, you, you, we all have relationships in our lives. And you've heard me talk about this before, but I think it's worth noting. If you want to get close to somebody in a relationship, what do you do? You spend time with that person, you get to know that person, you don't do all the talking, right? You listen to that person, you are intentional about developing that relationship. What happens if you don't? Bad thing. You don't get closer to that person. You get farther away. You don't necessarily listen. You do all the talking. You don't get to know them. And that relationship suffers. When we are lazy or spiritually apathetic in our own relationship with the Lord, it's real easy for us to slip away. And we don't even think about it. Yeah, you know, I just, I didn't have a lot of time this week. I was real busy, so I really didn't get to pray or read the Bible like I should have. But next week, next week, I'll get into it. And what happens after that week or after a month or, you know, or, or you, you guys get it. I could make a really long list of all the things we do or don't do that could cause us to drift away from the Lord. And I'm not even talking about sin yet. I will. I'm not even talking about sin. I'm just talking about being lazy in our relationship with the Lord. Dallas Willard is well-known uh, pastor and, and, and evangelist and, and spiritual director and other things. Uh, he made a comment in one of his books that said, effort does not equal earned. Right? We don't earn 
our salvation. The effort and the intentionality I'm talking about is not so you can be saved. We're saved by grace through faith alone. It's a gift of God, lest any one of us should boast. Man, wouldn't heaven be terrible if we earned our way there? How'd you get in? Well, let me tell you what. No, how'd you get in? By the blood of Christ alone. Proverbs 18.9 says, A lazy person is as bad as someone who destroys things. That's from the New Living Translation. I really like that translation of that verse. Because when we're lazy, we are destroying that relationship with God or with anybody else. That's why we can't be lazy. We can't be lazy. Number two, we can be deceived or led astray when we listen to someone or something else besides God. In 1 John 4, 1 through 3, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. I kind of wish Cynthia was here because Cynthia shared this with Leah, who shared it with me, and I think it's fantastic, that we have to learn to recognize our Father's voice and to recognize when it's not our Father's voice. John 10, 27, Jesus told us, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And it's so easy in our world to hear other things. To hear the media, or to hear a politician, or to hear uh, somebody who's teaching something false. Mm -hmm. right? There has been false teaching as long as there's been the truth. Right? As long as the word of God has been around, as long as God has, after he put us here, it wasn't long before Satan was espousing some sort of false teaching in the garden. Didn't take long at all. Been false teaching as long as there's been truth. But now, today, the false teachers have YouTube channels. <laughs> right? And the false, and I'm not saying everybody who's on YouTube is false. I have a YouTube channel. Hopefully I'm not a false teacher. Um, right? But they have mass marketing uh, uh, opportunities to send their false teaching anywhere and everywhere. It's everywhere. It's so important that we learn to listen to our Father's voice so that we don't slip away by something that's false. The best way to learn what his voice sounds like? Anybody want to guess? Get into the word of God. And then when he speaks to you, you're going to know if it's your father's voice or not. Because he's not going to contradict his word. Number three, we can slip away when we are angry with God. Well, I know that, that kind of sounds off to a few of us. Um, the first time I actually heard a pastor once say, you have to forgive God sometimes. And I was like, hmm, I, I don't know how much I agree with that. Oh, we have two new church attenders. Hi, boys. <laughs> um, but we often get this idea, well, we, that this is weird, right? We would never do this. But we sometimes get angry with God. Anybody ever been there? Right? I've been angry with God on more than one occasion. And it's not because he doesn't answer prayer. God always answers prayer. He just usually doesn't answer it the way we want him to. And I've been angry with God for that before. 
where I've been like, well, I really, I really thought you should do this. And eventually my, my, my brain and my soul wake up to the fact that, well, he's only going to do what's best for me, even if I absolutely don't understand it and it doesn't make any sense. Or if I hate what happens. But we get angry with God when we're focused on ourselves and not on him. Listen to Psalm 42, verse 9 through 11. Oh God, my rock, I cry. Why have you forgotten me? Anybody? I love the Psalms. The Psalms let us put, the Psalms put into biblical language our own emotions. Why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Their taunts break my bones. They scoff. Where is this God of yours? Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? All of that, right? Me. Why have you forgotten me? Why am I in grief? Why am I oppressed? Where is God? Why am I discouraged? Why am I so sad? I mean, those are all fair questions. I'm not saying you can't ask them or that you can't experience these emotions, but how does these verses end? It's a terrible sentence. I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. The focus shifts. Right? When, when the psalmist says that, has the oppression stopped? Has the discouragement gone away? Is his heart no longer sad? But what it is, is he shifted his focus. All right, I could look at all my problems, or I could put my hope in him. I could be angry with him for what's going on, or I could praise him because I know he's going to do, do something, whatever that might be. But it's easy to get angry at him when we're focused on ourselves. Number four, we can be filled with fear and doubt. I'm going to stop asking for hands to be raised. <laughs> filled with fear and doubt. That's none of us, right? We're all spiritual giants. And every challenge we face, we meet with the faith of a lion. Do lions have faith? I don't know. <laughs> right? Where does fear and doubt come from? When we focus on our problems, again, but not him. The anger can come from being focused on us instead of him. Fear and doubt is an external thing. We're focused on our problems instead of being focused on him. Lord, how am I going to pay this bill? Lord, how am I going to... Deal with this child. Lord, how am I going to deal with this person at work? Or, or right? how am I going to go home and deal with the person who's waiting for me? I don't ever have that problem. My wife probably does. Right? I come home to practical perfection. But she's married to me. I've said for many, many years that I am smarter than my wife. And I can prove it. I married her. But she married me. I'm pretty sure I got the better of the deal. But we start focusing on our problems and not on him. When Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. We sang that beautiful song by Aaron Keyes. What a faithful God. What a faithful God. What a faithful God you are to us. Simple chorus. It's easy for me to remember. That's why we do that song. 
But it's true. It's faithful to us. And then whenever I think of fear and doubt, I often think of Mark chapter 9. Jesus was up on the mountain. He came down. Disciples couldn't cast out the demon out of this, this young man. And, and they said, Lord, we, we, we can't do it. And he goes, well, how long do I have to put up with you? Anyways, that's the message version, but it's basically what he said. And the father looked at him and said, you know, uh-oh. <laughs> he said, can, can you do anything? And Jesus said, well, what do you mean, can I? If you believe, all things are possible to those who believe. And then the father in Mark 9, 24 this is one of my favorite prayers in the Bible, even though it's one sentence, because it is so unbelievably honest. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I've prayed that many times. Lord, I believe you. I trust you. I'm struggling. Help me overcome Or we can get distracted. That's number five. You know, and, and you could probably make a longer list of things that would cause us to slip away. Um, these are the five that, that the, I felt the Lord put on my heart throughout the week. Um, but we can easily be distracted when our focus is drawn away from God. Right? Our, our focus, we can be distracted by good things. Right? Your family's a good thing. But it can become a distraction. Your work, right? We... Most of us have jobs. Some of us are retired and kind of lazy. But uh, most of us... <laughs> I'm joking. I, I, I tease the retired people mostly because I'm jealous. Um, but, right, we, but we can be distracted by work. There are good things that can distract us. There are bad things, right? We can be distracted by sin. We could be distracted by things that waste our time. There could be things that are simply indifferent. Like our hobbies. Hobbies aren't necessarily good or necessarily bad, but if we put them in place of the Lord or something revolving around that hobby takes away our focus from God. And it's not that you know, necessarily all these things are evil, but if something distracts us from God, it's bad. Period. We have to be careful to not let good things Distract us from the greatest thing. That's a Greg Laurie quote. I stole it, but I like it. Don't let good things distract you from the greatest thing. Jesus talked about this in the parable of the sower, and we're not going to go through it all, but in Matthew 13, 22, in his interpretation of his own parable, he said, Now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. Right? So this is a person, they've heard the word of God, they've received the word of God, but they're so distracted by the things around them that they become unfruitful. And I don't want that for me, and I don't want that for you. So we pick up in verse 2. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us 
by those who heard him. Now, there are multiple times throughout Scripture where God used angels as messengers to deliver his word. So that's what he's talking about when he said the words spoken through angels proved steadfast. It's still God's word. The angels were simply the messengers. Go visit Daniel chapter, well, really 7, 8, and 9. Really cool. Gabriel shows up, gives Daniel all kinds of good stuff to listen to and, and write down for us. It's fantastic, right? Go to Luke chapter 1 and 2, where again, Gabriel, man, he's got a great job. Right? Every time Gabriel shows up in the Bible, he's talking about Jesus. Every time. So he shows up in Luke 1 and 2. First, he surprises Zechariah at work and says, hey, you and Elizabeth are going to have a kid. And he goes, oh, that's not, I'm old. That's not going to happen. So he makes him deaf and dumb. He can't speak or hear. He comes out, and everyone's like, oh, he must have seen an angel, which he did. He goes home. His wife gets pregnant. Way to go, Zechariah. And they, nine months later, they have little John. And they all say, oh, we got to call him Zechariah. we got to call him Zechariah. And his mom says, no, his name's John. And they're like, there's nobody in your family named John. We should call him Zechariah. So they wave at Zechariah. And he writes on his little tablet, his name is John. Wait. Right? Now, of course... Gabriel was the one who delivered that message, delivered the message to Mary. So God uses angels. And we know that every word God speaks has proven true. Isaiah 40, verse 8 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. There's a reason I hold this book in such high esteem. That I read it, that I teach it, that I study it, that I... I do my best to listen to it. Not always perfect. Because you want to know what, guys? I'm going to fail. You're going to fail. The flowers will fade. Last, My wife has accused my baby kitten, who is practically perfect in every way, of knocking flowers into the sink last night. I think it was one of the dogs. He jumped up on the counter. And yeah, and she she said, "No, it's your kitten." You know, so we're gonna have to deal with this uh, as a married couple. But right, but what happens? I love buying my wife flowers, and they're good for what a week. I didn't buy those; somebody else did. No, but uh, um, how long do flowers last in a vase? Right? Even if you have perfectly good flowers in soil, my wife will still kill them. Right? Because the flower. The grass, it's going to go, right? It's all greening up. Three, four months from now, it's going to all turn yellow. <laughs> and it's going to be covered with snow. Yay! <laughs> right? Because none of this lasts. You want to know what does? The Word of God. Everything in this book has either already come true or will. He goes on and says, every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. I promise to talk about sin. We see throughout the history of the Old Testament and the history and teaching of the New Testament that sin will always have consequences. Boy, we like to think that it doesn't. We like to think that we're going to get away with it this time or that we can get away with it for a while or that it's not a big deal Sin always 
has consequences. In 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 6 through 10, it says this, Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, oh, glorious day, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God. Happy message. And on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes. In that day, to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Right? People don't like to talk about this. Oh, don't talk about sin in church. Guess what, folks? You're all sinners. If you didn't already know that, if I've revealed something new to you, come talk to me afterwards. People say, oh, don't talk about hell in church. I have to. It's real. What did we just read? This is coming to anybody who rejects the gospel. And we're going to talk about that just more in just a second, but we like to think, oh, you're okay, I'm okay, everybody's okay. No, you're not! If you don't have Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are not okay. You're not. If you die apart from Christ, eternal condemnation separated from the presence of God forever. Jesus has done everything so you don't ever have to face that, so that I don't ever have to face that. His death and resurrection means that we will never be judged by God for our sin. Jesus took that. We will never face eternal condemnation and separation from God because Jesus paid the price so we could come into the presence of his Father, clothing us in his own righteousness and taking our sin. And people don't get it. You know, in this world, nobody is actually separate from the presence of God. Did you know that? There's a thing that we call common grace. God, God is here. Now, as Christians, he dwells inside of us, and that's different. But God is present in his creation in many different ways. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky, his handiwork, Psalm 19, verse 1. In Romans chapter 1, creation bears witness to the fact that there is a creator so that nobody has an excuse. People think that, well, I don't, I, if there's a God, I don't want to go to heaven. I don't want to be around him. They don't, they don't understand what it would be like to actually be completely separate from the presence of God. Not until they die without Christ. Then they'll find out. And then it's too late. And he goes on, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation and the answer is pretty simple you won't you neglect this salvation you will not escape the judgment that we just talked about the word neglect there means to be careless with to not regard or to be negligent if 
we are careless with our salvation in Christ, if we neglect it, if we don't regard it, judgment's coming. Because this great salvation has been offered to us by God in Jesus Christ. Listen to the words of Hebrews 10, 28 through 29. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy. On the testimony of two or three witnesses, of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? Under the Old Testament, if you disobeyed Moses' law and two or three people saw you do it, they would stone you to death. What do you think will happen to the person who stands before God on Judgment Day and says, yes, I completely ignored your gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. I didn't want anything to do with it. I, I know I don't want to be that guy. I'm going to stand before God like everybody else. And I'm going to plead the blood of Jesus. It's the only way in. And this my friends, my brothers and sisters, is the wonderful news of the gospel that we have all been given the chance to hear and respond to the truth that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he rose from the grave, that he has been exalted to the right hand of God, and that whoever turns from their sin, calling on the name of the Lord, shall be saved. That's the promise. However, person who rejects it, eternal condemnation and separation from God is what awaits. Please don't be that person. This, of course, was at first began to be spoken by the Lord because Jesus extensively taught about salvation through him throughout the Gospels, and then it was confirmed to us by those who heard him. So in the book of Acts and in the remainder of the New Testament, the message of the gospel was confirmed, which means to be made stable or established by those who heard it from Jesus himself. Right? So the gospel that I'm preaching today, it's not my gospel. Jesus told his disciples, this is how you get saved. When they asked him, what do we do to work the works of God? He said, believe on him in whom the Father has sent. Believe in me. Uh, Philip said, show us the Father. Have I been with you so long you haven't seen me? You've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Right? Over and over and over again, Jesus said, you want to you be saved? It's through me. He told his disciples that. What did the disciples do? They told everybody else. Then they wrote it down. So, we hear it from those who heard it from him. And we hear it from him too because we have the gospel. It's that simple. And because of that, our faith is not baseless. It's not fanciful. It's not mythical. It's not imaginary. Our faith is established by the word of God, spoken by Jesus himself, then communicated through the New Testament writers under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And when we trust in Jesus through his word, because Romans 10, 17 says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, then we are trusting in the truth. And we need not fear or doubt that his word will come to pass. And when we do doubt, we can pray for help with that unbelief. But right, we, we don't have some 
pie in the sky faith. We don't have, you know, we, we, it takes more faith to be an atheist. You ever heard that statement? It takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian. It takes more faith to believe that everything came out of nothing by accident than that there's a God. It just, it doesn't make sense. It takes more faith, right? Think about the people who, who believe in, 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 oh, I believe in nature. Where did it come from? Right? Believe in the one who gave us nature. Oh, I believe in science. You understand that scientific discovery would be impossible without a creator God? Impossible. Because he ordered the universe and then gave us the capacity to understand it and learn about it. Would be impossible without him. We could go on. But our faith, well, it's rooted and it's grounded in truth. And so we get to verse 4. God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. And I love that statement, because to all of these things, God has borne witness, and he does bear witness. So not only did Jesus, God the Son, bear witness to the truth of our great salvation, God the Father also bears witness to these things in two ways. First, he does so with signs and wonders and with various miracles. The working of signs and wonders, first through Jesus, and then as the Holy Spirit worked and still works through his followers, is a confirmation of the truth of the gospel. These signs and wonders do not replace God's word, but they confirm the truth of it. Right? If, if you never see a miracle, if you never see a sign or wonder, God's word is still true. But when God says, I can do all things, and then you see it, well, that's pretty cool. In John 10, 24 through 25, Jesus said this. The Jews surrounded him and said, how long do you keep us in doubt? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you. And you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. You want to know who I am? I've raised the dead. I've given sight to the blind. I've made the lame walk. I've cast out demons. Right? Look, I turned water into wine. Look what I've done. You don't want to I told you, and you don't want to listen. Look what I've done. It bears witness of me. And then through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit continue today. I know a lot of people want to make a big controversy about that. A lot of people believe in something we call cessationism, that the gifts of the Spirit ceased with the apostles. Um, I have several really good friends who believe that, and we're still good friends, even though they're wrong. Um, <laughs> um, and we could have a really nice conversation and, and a biblical conversation. The scriptures they use from 1 Corinthians chapter 13 do not justify cessationism. They just don't, in my mind. Um, but can you be saved and, and, and believe in Jesus Christ and go to heaven if you don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit? Well, of course you can. Because it's not based on that. It's based on our relationship with Christ. Uh, so I wouldn't argue over it. I wouldn't divide over it. If you really want to talk about it, I did a message on the gifts of the Holy Spirit uh, about a year and a half ago now, but it's up on our website. Or you just come and talk to me. We'll sit down, we'll have a cup of coffee, and I'll tell you why 
situation is so wrong. Biblically, it's not just my opinion. Anyway. But the gifts of the Spirit continue today. They are revealed to us in places like 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. So here's my real question. If God was going to discontinue the use of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, why would he dedicate three chapters just in 1 Corinthians to telling us how they're used properly? And then dedicate space in Romans, Ephesians, and 1 Peter all to explaining the gifts of the Holy Spirit in their use and the encouragement to use them. Why would he do that if we're not supposed to use them? I just take that little nugget and think about it. These gifts are given to us, of course, by the will of God through the Holy Spirit, and God uses them as a testimony of the great salvation offered to us in Christ. I also want you to notice, just in case you missed it, because I think it's kind of cool, that in these verses, these four verses that we looked at today, we see God the Father, God also bearing witness. We see gifts of the Holy Spirit, so we see the Holy Spirit, and we see salvation through the Son. All three members of the Trinity are represented in these four verses. So cool, just in case you've never noticed that. Um, but back to the gifts, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 7, and then verse 11. These, there are, sorry, diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are, there are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So there's gifts. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts. Why does he give us gifts? So that we can profit everyone. We can profit everyone around us. I'll tell you, one of the most frustrating things is trying to operate in a gift that isn't yours. I've done that. It doesn't work. One of the most rewarding things in the world, one of the most satisfying things, is operating in the gift that God has given you. It's fantastic. And we're told in 1 Peter 4.10, as each one of us has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So if you're sitting there going, well, I wonder if I have a spiritual gift. You do. If you are saved, you have a spiritual gift, maybe more than one. What are you doing with it? As we close, when we did the introduction to the book of Hebrews a few weeks ago, we mentioned that chapters 1 through 10 are mostly theological, with some application along the way. Today we looked at some of that application. We must be very careful to pay attention to the things we have heard and seen and been taught from Scripture. To not do so could lead us down a slippery slope away from God. Those who neglect this great salvation offered to us by God through Jesus Christ and ministered to us by the Holy Spirit will not escape the judgment that's coming. We can trust the truth of God's word, both on the promise of salvation and the promise of condemnation for those who reject Jesus. These truths revealed to us by the word of God have the additional witness of the signs and wonders God has done and does do and the gifts of the Holy Spirit given to us. So I do this every week because I think it's important. How do we take this home? Because I say this a lot. You can listen to all this you can agree with it. 
you can go, oh, yeah, amen. You can take notes uh, in your bulletin or highlight stuff in your Bible. And, and if you walk out that door and your life isn't different, then what difference did it make? So how do we take it home? And, and I don't just say that to you. I say it to me, too. Because I can stand up here and teach, and I can sound good, and I can use big words. But if it's not changing my life, what difference does it make? So first, are we paying all the more careful attention to the things we have heard, lest we drift or slip away? And as we discussed, slipping away from God can happen for many reasons. When we are spiritually lazy, when we're struggling to trust him, when we have been deceived in some way, when we're distracted, when our focus is somewhere other than him. And the good news is it's only one step back. It doesn't matter how far you walk away or how far you slip away or how far you run in the wrong direction. All you got to do is take one step back towards him and he's there. So beautiful. But if we're not intentional about it, right, a good relationship with another person isn't going to happen by accident. And a good relationship with God through Christ isn't going to happen by accident either. Two, has anyone who's listening, if you're here or you're joining us online, neglected the great salvation offered to us in Jesus Christ? And if you have, again, one step back. Turn from your sin. Receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's it. Number three, knowing that God has given us spiritual gifts, do you know what yours are? If not, are you seeking God in prayer and in his word so that he will reveal them to you? There's also some fun little tools. You can go online and take a spiritual gifts assessment. Um, I don't know how accurate those always are, but they're interesting. Um, bless you. But they are there. They can give you a place to start. More importantly, get into the words. Study the gifts. Understand what they are. And then go, okay, God, which one, which one did you give me? Or which ones? Let him show you. And sometimes they just show up in, in really cool ways. Uh, we were having a discussion with our daughter a couple weeks ago, and she said something that she saw before either of us saw it. And I said, well, that's a gift of discernment. That's awesome. We need people with the gift of discernment. If you don't know what your gifts are, seek God. Find out, because it's cool. If you do know what your gifts are, are you using them for his kingdom, for his glory, for reaching the lost, and as a benefit to the body of Christ as a whole? Because that's why he gave them to you. So you can use them in that way. I'm not saying this because I want you to feel guilty. If anybody leaves today going, man, I know I haven't been using my spiritual gifts. Jason's mad at me. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not but I want you to become the person God has created you to be. And part of that is to know what he's created you to do. And it's very cool. And I mentioned last week, and I'm going to mention it real briefly now, we're actually going to do something to help you with that. Probably, I'm hoping to start it in August. Details to come. Ooh, it's a mystery. Um, but we're going we're gonna, to, I'm working on something with the elders. I think it'll be cool. Um, but until then, if you need help with that, come chat with me. Like I said, Google spiritual gifts assessment. Uh, 
take it with a grain of salt, compare it to scripture. Um, but uh, they are interesting and they can be fun. Whatever the case, God has called us to walk in victory. God has called us to salvation in Christ and then to walk in the victory of that salvation. And then he's filled us with his Holy Spirit, empowered us and given us gifts so that we can build one another up and that we can go out there and win the lost. That's why we're here. How cool is that? Let's do it. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. I thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit at work in each of us. I thank you for your word. And I pray that you would guide us and lead us as a church and as individuals and in our families and in our jobs, Lord, and as neighbors and in our community to, Father, to build your kingdom. It's all for your glory. In Jesus' name.